Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. The title of my message is simply this, God, money and me. God, money and me. It's a new series that we're starting and it's a series about our relationship with money. Some might say, you don't have a relationship with money. Oh yes, we do. I know plenty of people who, who love their family, but oh, they love money more. And so we have a relationship with finance and we want to look at that over this particular series. It's a very important subject at any time, but even more so being less than, can you believe it, two months out from Christmas. We are less than two months out from Christmas. And I think this subject that we're touching on now is really important anytime, but made even more important by the fact that we are so close to Christmas. Christmas is referred to as the silly season, and it becomes even sillier when we do silly things with our finances, yes? And so we want to talk about that. Um, I don't apologise for it because Jesus spoke more about our relationship with money than any other subject. Jesus spoke more about money than hell. Jesus spoke more about money than heaven. Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. Jesus spoke more about money than prayer. Jesus spoke more about money than faith. That does not mean for one moment that money is more important than those things. It just means that Jesus spoke more about them because it is a very important subject. And if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. In actual fact, there are many people I've come across that would say, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to teach what Jesus Himself taught. And that's why we're teaching on this subject today because Jesus taught about this more than anything else. So we're in for a great, great series. Amen. And the reason he spoke about this particular subject was with good reason. Firstly, because there is nothing indicates more accurately what is important to you than the way we spend our money. Matthew 6 verse 21 says it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Someone once said this, that money is minted personality. I'll say it again. Money is minted personality. If you want to know what's important to me, you don't have to ask me. You've just got to look at my credit card statement. If I want to know what's important to you, I wouldn't need to ask. I would just need to get your credit card statement and find out. And it would tell me exactly what's important to you. It will tell me in plain terms, my priorities and my passions of my life. Some of you might say, why would you pay good money to go to a gym? And why would you pay good money for all those supplements? Why would you do that? And for me, the answer is real simple. It's because I love it. I see a value of it. You say, really, you go to a gym on a hot day and you do hard work and you sweat and you have to pay for it. And I say, yes. And I put my money into that. And I put my time into that. And I put my energy into that. Why? Because it's a passion of mine. And my spending reflects that. 
Likewise, you might say, hey, why wouldn't you spend your hard-earned money on a One Direction concert? There's a good reason for that. I don't like them. I'm not interested. And that's reflected in my credit card statement. You will not see me ever purchasing a ticket to One Direction concert. Cold chisel, yes. I would even fly to Melbourne to watch Keith Urban and I would take my wife. And we've done that because it's a passion of mine. There's some things I love and it's reflected in the money that I spend. And there are other things I'm not so interested in and it's reflected in the money I do not spend. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what I love, look where my money goes. If you want to know what you love, look where your money goes. See, money is not spiritual. But money or the use of money is a spiritual issue. I'll say that again. Money is not spiritual. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not spiritual. It's not. I need you to understand that it's not spiritual. But our use of money is a spiritual issue. And nothing better illustrates where my heart is than where my money is going. That's why Jesus spoke about money as often as He did. Secondly, because money vies to replace God in our lives. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's amazing to me that Jesus got it down to these two things. He said, you'll either serve God or money. Now, we have a lot of loves in our life, but Jesus never used those other loves. He used money. He didn't say you need to serve God or family. I would have thought next to our own life that probably our greatest love would be family and that would be the biggest hindrance. And Jesus does not say that. And I can go even further uh, and get more intimate about that and say our children. Jesus does not say you need to serve God or your children. Now you think about what you do for your children. You do anything for your children, most of us would. And yet Jesus doesn't even use children as the illustration of what we will be drawn away from God in. But He says it's going to come down to our relationship with God or our relationship with money. And I believe the reason is because money talks. Not not literally, but this, this quiet, unspoken voice that money speaks to us. And it says things like, if you had more money, you would be happy. There are many people that fall for the lie that if you had more money, you would be happy. Money whispers to us, if you have more of me, you'll be more happy. It also says that if you had more money, you'd be more secure. There are many people chasing the almighty dollar for greater security. It also whispers in our ear, if you had more money, then you would be somebody. You would have status. You would have arrived. Joy, peace and significance are all things that we need, but they're all things we are supposed to find and can only find in God. And money says you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have significance if you have more of me. And that is not true. 
We all crave joy, peace and significance, but we can only truly find those things in God and in God alone. But money tries to vie for our attention. says, no, 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 if you want to be happy, have more of me. If you want significance, have more of me. If you want peace and security, hey, earn more money. But it's a lie. And I think if it was true, then Hollywood would be a different place today. And so peace, significance and joy are important, but they can only be found in God. And Jesus knows that. And that's why He said what He said. Nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong, sorry, with having money, but there is a big problem when money has a hold of us. And thirdly, money is the ultimate test of our faith in God. If you can trust God in the area of finance, you can trust Him with pretty much anything. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which is a well-worn uh, passage of the Old Testament when it comes to tithing, it simply says this, Malachi 3, verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only place in Scripture where God dares us. No, where God double dares us. No, where God double dog dares us to put Him to the test. He doesn't say test me in any other area except in the area of our finance. 500 years ago, Martin Luther, a great church reformer, observed that most people convert to Christ three times. The first one is in their head. The second conversion is in their heart. And the third one, much belated, is in the air of their hip pocket. And if Martin Luther had that observation some 500 years ago, I don't think too much has changed in today's generation. Amen. I'm going quiet on me this morning. Do I have to pull out Jeremiah 29? If we can trust and prove faithful in our finances and trust and believe Him, we can trust Him and believe Him for every area of our lives. And that's what this series is all about. I'm trusting that it will be helpful in giving us right perspective in the area of our finance and help us move from money being our master to our servant so that it can be an incredible blessing and not a hindrance to our lives. And so this morning, I wanna look at seven laws of financial health. We're only gonna look at three today. We'll look at four next week. But I wanna look at seven laws of financial health. And they're all contained in the parable of the wise stewards found in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable of a master that had certain belongings and he distributed his belongings amongst uh, certain servants. And to one, he gave five talents. And talent is simply a unit of currency. And so to one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, he gave one talent. And then it says, the master went away on his journey. 
And he took a long time in returning. It said, but on return, he went back to his servants to give an account for what they had done with the monies given to them. To the one he gave five talents, that man earned five more and so had 10 talents. And he said, well done, good faithful servant. To the man who had given two talents, he earned two more, totaling four. And the master said, well done, good faithful servant. But to the man who had been given one talent, he was afraid of the master. He hid his talent and he gave the talent back to the master. And the master said to him, you are wicked and lazy. You should have put the money in the bank and at least got me some interest upon the monies that was given to you. And contained in this simple story is seven laws of financial health that are incredibly important and incredibly helpful for us to grasp and understand. And that's what I trust and hope will happen here today. And so we're going to look at three of those laws today from this simple little parable that Jesus told so many years ago. And the first law is this, the law of ownership. Everyone say ownership. Ownership says everything that I have belongs to God. That's what ownership says. Everything I have belongs to God. Matthew 25 verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. All of us have something that we have acquired. But what you need to know, whatever it is that we have right now existed before we were born. And whatever we own right now will exist after we have gone. Proving that we don't really own too much. It will continue to exist even when we've gone. But we get to use what we have for a short period of time called life. Job understood this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. I will give, so the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It doesn't matter what you have. I have never seen a hearse with a body in a casket and a trailer behind it. It might all still exist, but at that moment we see who it really belongs to. Job knew this to be true. In Psalm 24 verse 1, David says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in the world and all who live in it. David understood what Job understood, that nothing belongs to him. Job was a wealthy man. David was a wealthy man, but they knew this. They did not own the wealth that they had. The world belongs to the Lord and everything in it belongs to the Lord. And then David goes one step further and says, and everyone on it belongs to the Lord. Job understood this. David understood this. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from Above. Have you ever been given something good? 
ultimately it comes from above. I almost hear some of you say, I disagree. You don't understand, Tony, how hard I have worked. You don't understand the years of study that I have put in, the years of learning. How can you say it's not mine? To that, I would simply say, where did your energy come from to do all that work and to do all that study for such a long period of time? Where did your good health come from? Where did your strength come from? Where did the brain that you used to study for so long come from? Where did the air that you breathed, I'm assuming you were breathing while you were doing those exams and working hard, where did that come from? Everything we own and everything we have and everything that we are belongs to the Lord. It reminds me of the scientist who defied God one day and said, God, we no longer need you because we've learned how to clone human beings. We don't need you anymore. And God says, I agree to differ. And so the scientist says, well, let's have a man-making competition. And God said, that's a great idea. And so God gathered up a piece of dirt and the scientist gathered up a piece of dirt and God said to him, no, 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 no. You get your own dirt. Everything we have comes from the Lord. When you start getting this message into your spirit, it's gonna set you free. Right now, some of you are fighting me. Right now, some of you are saying, no. And I'm saying, this, this message is gonna set you free. When we understand, you know what? Nothing we own really belongs to us. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. For those of you out there who consider yourself wealthy, praise God. But know this, God gave you that ability. I, I, I trust you've worked it. I've tr- I trust you've worked hard. I trust you've studied long. That's us co-laboring with God. But at the end of the day, it is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. And that is why two people can do exactly the same thing, study exactly the same thing and work for the exact same amount, amount of hours and at the end be different results in wealth. Because God sets the ceiling in our lives when it comes to those things. This is a foundational law, but it's one that can be forgotten over time. Let me explain it this way. If I was going away for a week and I lent my car to Dan, and I've done this numerous times before, and I said to Dan, I'm going away for a week, I want to give you the use of my car. Here are the keys. And he took those keys and used my car while I was gone for a week. But at the end of the week, my my week became two weeks. And then my two weeks became a month. And then my month became 
a year. And then my year became five years. And after five years of being away, which is a long time, I come home, I catch a cab around to Dan's place. He's happy to see me. He makes me a meal. And after the meal, I said, I'm going to leave now. Can I have the keys to my car? And he says, what do you mean, keys to your car? I said, yeah, before I left, I gave you the keys to my car to look after. What's happened in that five-year period is he's forgotten who the car belongs to. Nothing changed other than he forgot something in the process of time. If I reverse that and say to Dan, I'm going away for a week, here's the keys to the car, but I come back the next day, the first thing he's going to do is, here's the keys to the car, because it's very fresh in his memory. That's why when we are brand new Christians, we are so uh, excited about the Christian life because it's all very fresh. But it's as we go week after week, month after month, year after year, and we experience a few hardships and heartaches and things don't work out the way we thought they would, we begin to forget over time who owns what. And so this parable is a reminder to us of who really owns all that we say that we own. And can I say to us as a church, let us not over the process of time forget who our possessions really belong to. If the Lord does not come back anytime soon, there are some here like Dan who are going to be around a long time. There are others in this room who may not be around that long. (laughs) No one wants to face reality. Okay, that's fine. But whatever the waiting time is, it is our responsibility to remember who owns what. The first law of financial health is the law of ownership. Secondly, The second law is the law of entrustment. Everyone say entrustment. Entrustment Entrustment says that God has invested in me and I am to steward His investment. Matthew 25 verse 16 says, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. God has invested something of Himself into every one of us. And He expects us to use those things that He's entrusted to us to create a return upon His investment. The size of the investment may differ, as we see in this story. To one, He gave five talents. To another, He gave two. And to another, He gave one. What we need to understand that in this room, there are no, no talent people. Every one of us has been given something by God. Every one of us has been entrusted with something by God for us to steward and to steward well. The trouble is we tend to compare ourselves by ourselves and so think that we don't have anything to offer. 
I remember being at Hillsong a number of years ago and a young man by the name of Stephen Furtick was preaching. And if you know Stephen Furtick, you know that he's young. You know that he's a good looking man, that he's physically fit. He can preach the house down. He's kind of one of those uh, multi-talented people. And the trouble is with multi-talented people, they can be really annoying. And I never forget this one moment where Brian, Pastor Brian Houston was interviewing Stephen Furtick. And Brian said to him, a little birdie tells me that upon asking your then girlfriend to go out with you, you wrote her and sang her and serenaded her with a song. Is that true? And he said, embarrassingly said, yes, that's true. And Brian said, I don't know about everyone here, but I would love to hear you sing that song. And at that moment, I'm thinking, aha, a a glitch in his armour. Yes, sing that song, Stephen. (laughs) Bring him back down to the realm of normality and reality. And he was like, no, 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 no. He said, that's so unfair, Pastor Brian, because, you know, asking me to sing a song at a conference that is world-renowned for its music and worship is such an unfair ask on me. I'm saying, that's right, sing it anyway. And so he agreed. He said, okay, 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 got everyone to calm down, everyone calm down. I'll sing it. And with no accompaniment, with no auto-tune, with no reverb, he just started singing the very song that he serenaded his then girlfriend with. It was unbelievable. (laughs) I thought, is there anything this man cannot do? Five talent people are really, really annoying. And most of us would know that to be true. And we justify what we don't have because of all the things that they do have. And thus overlook what we actually do have. You might be a one talent person, but it's one talent you've got. It's one talent you've been entrusted with. There is not a no talent person in this room. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got talent. You got talent. Every one of us has been given something by God. God has trusted me and he's trusted you with time. By virtue of you being alive, you've been entrusted with life. We've all been entrusted with many, many things and we are to utilise that which we've been given to glorify God. And the same is true when it comes to our finances. Finances are simply a tool that we use while we are here to bring glory to God. John Wesley said this, that we should earn all we can so we can give all we can so that we can help all we can. Unfortunately, many have turned that into earn all you can, put it in a can and sit on the can. God has entrusted us with time, 
talents and treasures. And he wants us to use those things for his glory. To make the most of everything that he has given us. Be it our cars, our home, our career to use for his glory. Just a little under three years ago, we moved into our new home. And in moving into a new home, it was a bigger home, but it was not to be a show home. We wanted a bigger home for two reasons. One, our family was getting bigger, but also we wanted to have more people over. So the bigger home reflected the more people that we could have and house. And for the last two and a half years, that's what we've been doing, opening up our home and cooking for many people. Everyone gets a barbecue. That's all you get at our place is a barbecue. Because if I start cooking my specialties um, and, and everyone starts comparing what everyone got, it's just, it's just a straight out barbecue. It's nothing flamboyant. It's nothing fabulous, but it is an opportunity to gather together. But it was never to be a show home. The purpose of moving into this larger facility was not a status symbol. It was that we might house more people. We want to use it for the glory of God. We do not find our joy, nor our peace, nor our security in these things alone. Our house is not a status symbol. Our house is a place that has a bit more room than our old place to have more people around. We want to use it for His glory. I remember being a young sign writer with a van and uh, looking after a bunch of young kids at our youth group and uh, having many, many kids. And that was back in the day when they weren't so seatbelt crazy and so uh, politically correct. And we used to just jam as many kids into that van because kids just needed to get from A to B. Didn't matter how they got there, just as long as they got there, we just throw them in. And I'll never forget getting home quite late at night after our youth meetings, as I dropped one kid off, two kids off, three kids off, four kids, five kids, six kids, seven kids, eight kids, and they all lived all over the place. And I get home exhausted, but with a smile on my face, knowing that this van wasn't just a tool for my business, but had become something that could be used for God's glory. Uh, I wish I could tell you that as a result of having all those kids, nothing ever got ripped Nothing ever got messed up. No drinks were ever spilt. I, I, I wish I could tell you that was the case. But kids in the original Greek simply mean messy ones. In the Hebrew, it means unable to hold a drink without spilling it. And it's just part of our life. Because that van was not a status symbol. It was not just my livelihood. It was not just for business. It was for His glory. And whatever you use for His glory is going to get messed up. If you want to use your life for God's glory, it's going to get messed up. Things are going to get messed up for His glory. Jesus hanging on the cross is the greatest picture of what I'm talking about. Amen. And so we've got the law of ownership. We have the law of entrustment. And the third law is the law of accountability. Everyone say accountability. accountability. I feel like you're warming to me. This is awesome. I knew we'd get there. 
I knew he would. I know where I'm going. I knew we'd get there. Accountability says that one day God will audit me with a view of increasing me. In Matthew 25, verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Here's a question. If you knew that you would be audited by the tax department, I'm sure you would give extra thought to your accounts and make sure that they are all in order. Just recently, and by recent, I mean last week, we had the auditors come and look over our finances. And in order for that to happen, we needed to make sure that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. That being true, there are very few people that consider that one day that we will give an account to God. Every one of us in this room, one day, will give an account to God. And many are surprised to think that a God of love would order anybody. But if you think about it, it's not that strange Because any one of us in this room who has a superannuation fund is keen to know how it's going. Doesn't make us a bad person, just keen to know how it's going. If you have a shared portfolio, you care to know if it's rising or falling. If you have a home, most of us would be interested in the property market, whether it's rising or declining. That may have a massive bearing on whether you sell or not. Yeah. doesn't make you a bad person. Yeah. It just means you care about your investment. Yeah. Good. Why would we think that God would care any less about His investment? Yeah. Wow. And we are His investment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In Romans 14 verse 12, it says, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. How we view this audit really is the result of how faithful we've been. The man who gained five more talents or five more bags of gold, do you see what he did? He runs to the auditor. He runs to the master. And he says, guess what? You know those five talents you gave me? You know those five bags of gold you guess what? Ask me, go on, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, come on, come on, come on, come on, ask me. Ask me how I went, ask me. How'd you go? I made five more. I saw your investment and I doubled it. And with a smile on his face, the master goes, Well done. Awesome. That's great. Fan Bloomantastic. It's amazing. Because in the heart of the master, that's what he wanted. 
His view of auditing is so that he may give you more. The man with two, the same. Oh, ask me. You know, you gave me two? Yeah. Ask me how it went. You never guess what happened. Ask me. How'd you go? What happened? What'd you do? Ah, I doubled it. I doubled it. Well done. I know. Good, faithful. Yeah, that's me. Good, faithful. Yep. Well done. Good, faithful. That's me. On Thursday evening, Judy came home from school. And much like those two that I've just described, came in with a smile on her face. So guess how I went in my English oral exam? I got a sneaking suspicion at that moment because she's not hiding. It's good news. It was just a matter of how good it's going to be. As a, as a dad, I'm thinking, okay, I know it's going to be good, but how good? So that, it seems like it's good. Yeah, yeah. How good? Oh, she, she's very good. And she reported... She got top of the class. Top of the class. Everyone in Jordan's class, she beat you. And for those of you who weren't in her class and are hiding behind that excuse, if you were in the class, she would have beaten you. Point is, she wasn't afraid to come and report. She wasn't afraid to come and feedback. She wasn't afraid of the audit that was coming her way. Because of her good report. Our other children know this to be true. They know that dad likes a tidy bedroom because if you can conquer your bedroom, you can conquer the world. But it starts with your bedroom. And of all our kids, there is one that is a little bit you know, untidier than the others. And she finds it a little bit harder to keep her room tidy. But this I know. When she's managed to get on top of the mess and keep it clean... When dad gets home from work, she's running downstairs. Say, dad, dad, come look at my room. Come look at my room. Come, come, come look at the room. And as I'm being dragged upstairs, I'm thinking to myself, I bet it's tidy. And not only is she keen to see the smile on my face, but she knows there's extra reward on top of that. She knows she's going to get a good report and, and she get something else on top of that. It might equal ice cream. Lollies. But you know what? That same young lady that didn't clean her room doesn't greet me in the same way when the room's not tidy. It's like, uh, where's my daughter? 
she's nowhere to be seen. She's nowhere to be seen. Uh, are you with me? When our auditors came to this church to check out our finances, we're not scrambling, we're not hiding. We're saying, hey, take a look. We're not trying to hide anything. See, our response to the master has more to do with our faithfulness or lack thereof, not the master themselves. That would be true of a boss situation, a parenting situation, or even a local church situation. Before you come to the conclusion that you can't please that person, ask yourself this, am I doing what I should be doing? Because the report of the gentleman that got the one talent and what he had to say about the master was oh so different than the other guy's. And it's the same man. The one that got one talent and was unfaithful with the one talent, the one that didn't clean his room, the one that got a D on his French test, that didn't want dad to come home and so he had to tell him, that's, that's my story anyway, uh, sorry about that. He said, I knew you were a hard man. Really? I just gave you a bag of gold. This gave you an incredible opportunity. Don't allow your unfaithfulness with what is being asked of you to determine the kindness of your boss, pastor, mum, dad, older brother, older sister, whatever. Or even the policeman get caught speeding and he comes and gives you a fine. Oh, he gave me a fine. You were speeding. We make the policeman to be the villain when we were unfaithful to the speed limit. We make God to be the one who is unfaithful and doesn't care. People say, if God's a God of love, why why does he send people to hell? You know what? God doesn't send anybody to hell. He just gives people what they've always wanted, a life without Him. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The master in this story did not want to say, you wicked and lazy servant. God is not waiting to say, you wicked and lazy servant. God is looking to audit our lives with express purpose of increasing our investment. He wants to bless us. When I come home from work, I think, oh, I I hope they've cleaned their bedroom because I want to bless them. I I, I hope they've cleaned it because I I don't want to have to look at their little face and tell them they've been lazy. How do you see God? Because how you see God is how you view authority. I see God as a God who loves us and wants us 
to succeed. See, the motivation of the master in performing the audit is to bring increase. As I'm closing with these few thoughts, can our band come? Because we're just going to worship just for a moment. This incredible God of blessing, provision, and increase. He is looking to see if you've been faithful with the intent to invest more in your life. If you have a share portfolio that's performing well, guess what? You invest more in that, yeah? And if it's not performing well, you don't invest more. We need to understand the motivation of the master's audit. And it's with a view of blessing you. It's with a view of increasing you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts that are fully committed to Him. God is looking for people who have made good use of their investment. That's what He's looking for. So He can give you more. God is expecting an ROI, a return on investment. How different our lives would be if we live knowing that God was going to do an audit on us with the view of increasing us should He find us to be good stewards with what He gave us. This is the heart of the Father. He loves you. He's bestowed upon every one of us talents and gifts. And he wants us to be good stewards with those things because he desires to bless us some more. And if you're a parent in this room, you know what I'm talking about. That joy that we get in blessing our children and the angst we have in disciplining them. Our desire comes from God's desire to bless you and to give you more. In the lead up to Christmas, wouldn't it be sad that year after year after year, when God audits our life, all he sees is good Christmas parties, lots of gifts, lots of presents, but very little fruit. Because we allowed this silly season to dictate to us instead of allowing the Word of God to lead us and guide us and direct us. Can you stand? I hope this has been helpful this morning. My desire in planting this church, among many things, would be simply to teach people how to live. People aren't struggling in this life for a lack of really deep spiritual truths so much as just the simple things done well. If we could get this area right, it could change and transform our lives. And I really hope you take seriously what's been shared so that we make good financial decisions in the lead up to Christmas that we wouldn't be dictated to by all the specials and all the noise and all the advertising and all the spruiking that's going to take place over this time, but that we'd hold our line and we'd give first to God.
And out of that, we'd portion other things with the view that God will order us. He'll order our words, our decisions, our actions, our spending. He's interested in all of our lives. It's interesting when that woman gave two pennies. He said Jesus was watching over the offering. He's interested in that part of our life, as he is every part of our life. The way we speak to our wives, our husbands, our children. He's, he's interested. He wants to come into our life. He's not a God that wants to do life afar. He's a God that wants to do life intimately with us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 